everybody, and welcome to Foil Forward, the podcast about game design and amateurism. Uh, sometimes we're trying to be a little bit less amateur, you know. So welcome, and uh, I am Fred. I am your host, and I have with me tonight Carr. Hello. And Mr. Jonathan. Hey, Al. And Cavoir. Probably. Yeah, probably. Uh, Markathan. Hello. And Rob. Hey, everybody. All right. <laughs> Rob, <laughs> Sorry, you I'm really gonna... do sound like you're sick. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. I can keep going. All right. All right. I'm just going to, it's just going to be like a little smoother, you know, <laughs> like a little like sexier. Jazz. <laughs> a little jazzy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um. So everybody, Rob's sick and also jazzy. You can yeah. do it with what? We're with just, that information, which you will, but we're just gonna uh, start with the pinky, break it, make it, and um, respect it, it. All around. Yeah, well, I was gonna say respect, yeah, like keep it safe or something. I don't know, like not break it. Uh, anyway, so since Rob originally gave this topic, I want you to tell me what you meant when you said breaking the social contract, or like tell the listeners, are you sure that was me? I thought it was yes. Carl. No, it was you. It was, it was okay. you. <clears throat> uh, breaking their social contract. Generally, I was referring to uh, behavior at the table that is not conducive to keeping the game going. That, to me, is the simplest definition. Okay. So, what are those behaviors then? Or what were your ideas of those behaviors? Uh, well, because I've got a list. Yeah, I yeah. Know you've got a list, but I want to know what Rob is first. Um, <clears throat> the behaviors that I would include would be generally being like showing up and not being interested, um, uh, distracting yourself with other stuff during the game. That's that's somewhat rude to the GM, at least. Um, and other players. And, other players. Uh, and uh, so that's that's one. I don't know. I'm sick. I'm on a lot of Sudafed, so <laughs> things are things are fuzzy. Okay. Uh, uh, no, but that's 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 so being distracted, um, not coming prepared. Um, or some other ones? Just being a jerk, generally speaking. But there's specific ways of being a jerk in a game that don't show up in real life all that often. Uh, mm-hmm. So that would include um, excessive argumentation with. This is this is a tough one because I don't I'm not sure I actually agree with this, but generally speaking, people consider excessive argumentation with a GM to be to be breaking the social contract. Um, well, the level of that would be part of it. Yeah, except I guess, but we everybody's got different definitions of excessive. Um, uh, some people throw rules lawyering in there. I'm not one of those. Um. Some people will also just do things that are inappropriate for the particular theme and aesthetic of what everybody's trying to do at the table. Uh, that that that's a form of breaking the social contract. Um, for example, if you're if you're playing a game of vampire and you actually want to, you know, do the whole angsty vampire thing, and you know the Malkavian is just running around fucking chickens, uh, somebody's in the wrong game. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and I've been that Malkavian, so I know. 
Of course you have. Yeah. Uh, but that's generally that's generally it. So but it's just it's just the cluster of behaviors that is not conducive to keeping the game going. And then basically the the way you know it's been broken is the game stops. Like people look around and go like, uh, "What? Okay." And then you know sometimes you have to you have to actually just stop and talk about it. Uh, this has happened to me fairly recently, um, but. Uh, yeah, I don't really want to go into it that much. Yeah, but okay. Yeah, um, sounds reasonable. So it sounds like what you're saying here is that while there is a social contract inherent in our everyday lives, there are things added to it by the role playing game. Yeah, uh, or by the addition of the role playing game because it's this <laughs> collaborative effort. Okay. Right. Well, I think that the manners that you have in in real life should just apply to every situation that that you're in. And if for some reason you th- those manners fall away during the game because there's another motivation at work, like getting a rule to break your way, um, that's that's part of breaking the social contract too. So just the you know half of it's just good manners, just, just executing the principles of charity and um, camaraderie, uh, you know, because you're all ostensibly there to sit down and have a good time, and so. Everybody should contribute to that uh, to the degree they can, and if you're not doing that, that's uh, it might be breaking the social contract too. Yeah, being too passive could be one. Mm. Yeah. Okay, that actually, I'm trying to decide at this moment if I agree with that or not. And okay. here's my here's my thought process. Um, when you say like being too passive is a thing that breaks social contract. I said could be. Could yeah, could be. I, I I should yeah. So I'm trying to think about whether it is. I guess I don't I, I just okay, I don't think it should be, though again, that's the, a lot of the social contract stuff I think we're gonna end up having to say is like it's open to a certain amount of interpretation. Like there's never interacting with the table, and then there's kind of interacting in a, a different way that is less directly involved than like the rest of the people at the table um and yeah i think i think mm-hmm. we should back up um because i think we're thinking about the social contract wrong or at least the way it sounds like you are fred and if you don't mind me interjecting oh go for it um and that <clears throat> the social contract is something that um we all understand together and so um when we say something like um being too passive could be or does or doesn't break the social contract it's all relative to each table and what the social contract is because it the social contract should be at the very least discussed um and then it, we know what the social contract is when we're guessing what the social contract is in a, any given game then we don't really have it defined well enough um, okay so yeah, the, co- sorry, the social ahead. contract is kind of the closest thing any table has of a definition of their table culture, and it's going to vary from table to table. And what we have to do in this episode is stay in mostly an abstract realm of it and not let our own preferences for contract clauses 
seep in so much. Okay, no, I, I, that's understandable. I, I don't disagree with the fact that uh, social contact is very much based on the social context. Uh, you know, what activity you are, what the relationship between the people is, and what their preferences are as to that. Um, so I, I, I only, yeah, sorry, I only cut in because you were sort of. It sounded like you were more giving your preferences for social con social contract, like Car said, clauses, as opposed to just discussing, you know, what it is, and each table sort of has to just figure it out on their own. Hmm. Uh, which we can go into that also. I just thought we maybe stepped ahead before we talked about, you know, just how do we figure out the social contract in general. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, so it sounds like, Carr, you have a lot to say about this. Uh, do you want to start in on how you kind of define the social contract? Um, okay. The, the social contract is the agreement among everyone at the table regarding the expect expectations of how everyone will comport themselves during play. That comes down to tone and demeanor to punctuality. Like when are the when is the play happening? Um, hospitality, metatone, all that stuff. Like every it's it's all the behavioral and logistical things around the game. Okay. And you're even expanding a little bit because I think when Rob was giving his definition, he was mostly talking about during play. Um, but you are not, at mm. this point including stuff that happens before and after play. You know, that mm. is the part of the lead up to it. Uh, I think that's reasonable. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with that. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to like show that he's widening our purview a little bit to be kind of everything around this game. So that you know communication about the game and figuring out okay when are we going to meet how are we going to get there yeah um, or whatever that requires there's that whatever um, the pizza protocol is all that stuff falls under social contract yeah mm -hmm. we had a pizza protocol <laughs> <laughs> Listen, there was, you know, out, <clears throat> yeah one time like if you know we were averaging like seven people at a game average sometimes it would be nine sometimes it would be less than that but like Holy crap. and so yeah like pizza actually made it like we actually had to figure something out so I, i've been in that position so i we, yeah actually drawing up like a, okay here's what we are here's what we're going to order if blah's here we're going to we're going to get this if they're not here then everybody can get have mushrooms on their pizza like you know <laughs> that kind of stuff um yeah yeah it, i think it extends i just it's um is it, have you guys ever seen like an outline of a social contract like presented in an RPG in that kind of? Oh, uh, Mark. <laughs> yes. Uh, I at some point I remember you writing a social contract for your game yeah. or something approximating that. Exactly, and it still exists in the game that I have. Um, I've I've worked it in a couple different versions, but the basic idea was that I just wanted to address the fact that. Every game has a social contract that is implicit. And in terms of what the game necessitates to, as part of that implicit social contract, 
I decided to make explicit in the game rules. So I I included a section that just talked about like here is what the game requires, which is that everyone respects each other at the table. Um, and central to the game that I'm designing, I want there to be the idea that players retain the ability to play their characters for as long as possible. Um, the idea is not necessarily to simulate realism, but to allow everyone the opportunity to continue in the experience in the exact same way. Um, so the idea behind explicitly bringing out the fact that we have this social contract is to say there are uh, rules that we're imposing on the game, such as, like, fictionally, your characters shouldn't die. but in order to maintain the play experience for everyone's enjoyment, we can't have there being sort of a disrespect of, um, I'm going to abuse that rule in order to take control of the story. Like if you start jumping off of rooftops, knowing that your character can't die because that's part of the rules, you're affecting what the game can do, I guess, or what other players' experiences of the game can be. Um, so I wanted to make it clear that like there's certain aspects of the game and sitting down around the table and appreciating everyone else's experience that I think needs to be part of the etiquette of the game. Um, what I had originally called that section was the social contract, but uh, in running it by some people, I think the term social contract became very uh, binding. Like it sounded very, very official. Exactly. Yeah, it's formal, yeah. Um, so the, the chapter that I have on it, or the section, is just called Etiquette of Play. So I've mm. just sort of addressed what I think are the guidelines that players should follow in order to maximize the fun for everyone at the table. That's, yeah, I like that better than Social Contract, too. I, mm. I, I think etiquette, it's, it's more descriptive of what it actually is, because nobody's sitting yeah. down and formalizing a social contract out. You know, we, we, we're, we're borrowing it from... Is it John Stuart Mill? Am I right? Um, I don't remember. The theory? I, social yeah. contract theory? Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, it's, it's real theory. So, uh, French. A lot, of groups, but, a lot of groups just assume a lot of social contract elements. Mm -hmm. Roll. Well, I'm sorry. It's only been in the last few years that it's been, it's that the social contract has become an explicit thing. Mm -hmm. That it's worked its way into game documents, right? Mm -hmm. What, what, what? For example, what, what have you seen that where it's worked its way in? I don't recall one explicitly at this my, at this moment. Uh, unless, unless you're talking about published? unless I'm sorry, just, unless you're talking about stuff like the X card and stuff like that, which I don't, which is like a meta rule. It doesn't feel like a etiquette or con social contract in the way that we're using. Well, that's. Part of it, but it's a it's a little different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's it's a tool towards maintaining the social contract. Mm -hmm. Um. Well, it's starting to work its way in. Like I, my game discusses the social contract. Mm -hmm. Mark just discussed how his game does it. Mm -hmm. um, I think games like Apocalypse World, like there's more than just one, but it 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 states um. I don't have exact words, but it, it basically says that you're playing in an apocalypse. And so you have to sort of conform to these certain ideas about it and about how play is going to happen. Um, which I believe is 
Although not not explicit that that that's sounds, part of the social contract. That sounds less to me like etiquette and more like expected buy-in. Yeah, yeah, but, it, but that's, that's part of, of that's part of the social contract too. Is how okay, like we all, it's <clears throat> it's all what we're agreeing to do together. We're agreeing to play an apocalypse yeah. game, which seems obvious by playing apocalypse world, right? One would but, hope, yeah, yeah, and just like playing a fantasy game that would seem obvious if you're playing D anD D, but these things don't always jive, right? So right, um, it's yeah, it's social contract. That's why I don't. Like what Mark put in his game, and he called it etiquette, and it's definitely part of the social contract. But just saying etiquette is the social contract is it, it's not it doesn't equate. Mm-hmm. No, and that's why I I had to append my statement by saying something approximating it. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, because that was as far as I've seen um, the only game that had that more explicitly had some sort of understanding of etiquette or the social contract. Other games have it like, oh, yeah, you know, try and be nice to other players and be reasonable. But it's very rarely spelled out like that. Right. And I think the part of the social contract that is within, like, there's there's a few aspects of it. There's sort of what happens at your table as well as what the game requires. And I think as the designer, there's only so much I can say about what is going to happen at your table. I can't influence whether or not everyone's going to be okay with um, a certain, um, I don't know, no, exactly, no cell phones at the tables rule, but that's still part of the social contract. Like that could be something that, I don't know, a group would want to have is that you are here to not be distracted by anything. So we're going to enforce like a rule of some kind to make sure that everyone's engaged, but other tables might not care about that at all. Um, So I think in terms of what the game design necessitates is really a certain amount of etiquette and that's why i i liked that terminology there's just a respect to the other players and a respect to the game that i think needs to be paid um as part of the buy-in to sitting down at the table to play my game um and yeah it might be necessary in certain games that want to deal with specific subject matter as well um and other games might not care at all about this kind of table etiquette. Um, so I think it varies. And other games could acknowledge that subject matter can vary and advise the players to consider what they're going to be doing. Absolutely. I think, yeah, um, when, when you were talking about that, I was thinking, because one of the few games I've seen that explicitly recommends like a social contract thing, well, and is, is Monster Hearts. That was one of the first ones where I went, oh, this game actually recommends, hey, use the X card. And it explicitly says that in the rules. Like, you should probably use the X card because this game is supposed to be kind of sexual. Um, not say that other, especially other story games haven't come out and done that. Mm-hmm. So it's far. also sexual with teenagers, too. That's a whole extra. Yeah, that's a whole extra thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, addition to that. But, yeah, and I, I, I agree that because Monster Hearts, it's supposed to be kind of sexual. There's other games, uh, like bluebeard's bride um that have like kind of heavy themes that a lot of people Mm -hmm. don't want to and i think especially when you have a game like that where it's explicitly going for right things that are supposed to kind of push taboo and kind of push people a little bit it's very important to have some sort of uh you don't have to have the x card but something like it something where you have this understanding of where people's 
limits are and you know what they will and won't do huh did you really think bluebeard's beard was a, a taboo pushing game it felt to me just like a really well constructed straight horror story well what horror is about like pushing those boundaries mm, but okay. maybe i'm wrong the same thing could be said to a degree about any game that centers around non-mainstream themes in the in the overall culture like you could say that about vampire or about cthulhu i mean i yeah probably it wouldn't be a bad idea to have it in either of those games no. i don't think <clears throat> um you know both of those are supposed to be things that are make people very uncomfortable and yeah could possibly be you know fun ruining or fun hurting so mm-hmm. I, that seems perfectly reasonable to me yeah i mean cthulhu especially if, if you're doing it right then uh yeah it shouldn't it, it should it should push right up against that boundary of like mm-hmm. what people are comfortable with and i oh sorry go for it no no, no that, that that was that was the end of my thought okay i think um that uh well there went my train of thought but i i i think shit <clears throat> nope totally lost it god damn it <laughs> well that was um terrible anyway um so i I'll, I'll link this in the show notes or whatever but uh jonathan just showed this social contract which uh i've it been kind of bananas. looking through it is it is absolutely bananas so this is um ten uh pages. 10 pages of like a lot of pretty specific rules with with choices obviously in them and requiring like, signatures at the end. I mean, yeah. Jesus, dude. So this is, I think, yeah, ridiculous. Um, but it it's an attempt at, at covering all the bases. And I think by reading the points, although some of them are almost ludicrous. There's that, 59 rules here. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I think at, at reading them, though, we get this sense of like, not all these things are important or applicable to everyone's game, but I think that there is this comes from things that are applicable to some people's games. So when we this comes off as as at least partially farcical, it, it does. Yeah, but but at least but it, it does get you thinking about the social contract yeah. as as a whole and. And just to, so I guess, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I think that it it helps us understand how things that we do can affect other people at the table. It's like, oh, like, I never would have thought that that's an issue. So 21, marijuana for states where it is legal will be permitted <laughs> at the table in the following quantities. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You're supposed to be like, okay, yes, people can only have 0.5 grams. Yeah, that'll be but, fine. Yeah, but it like it's a real like, you know, it seems like oh ridiculous to think about it, but I mean really like it's not a horrible like the quantity and more like a yes or no might be good, but but putting that out there shows that yeah that matters to people, you know. This, yeah, it does. It but just strikes to people. Pardon? It can matter to people. It can yeah. matter to people. Mm-hmm. It matters to some people. What yeah. this strikes me as, and I'm saying this as a person who's on the autism spectrum, this strikes me as something that uh, 15 years ago I would have drawn up 
and because I, I, it, it, it's hard for me to read people in real life. And so I, a lot of these things, like I've had to sort of learn the hard way by transgressing them. And so the, I can see, I can see this being useful for some people because some people will, will really not know how to, how to, that the, some of these like are, 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 are important or even a thing that other people care about. Um, so if, if, I guess if you, if you, ha if you're the kind of person that has, um, some sort of, uh, empathy distortion in your, in your brain, something like this actually could be quite helpful. Hmm. It I... also strikes me, oh, uh, sorry, just before you go on, it also strikes me as something that's way more appropriate to, um, a bunch of people getting together for the first time rather than an established group or one that mm. forms organically. You know, this is, this would be good for something like we all, it's like a bulletin board in a game store type thing where mm -hmm. you answer an ad and like people go like, okay, here's what I'm going to expect. Like, or you know. not, not explicitly a group getting together for the first time, but like, it's probably a good idea if the contract gets revisited whenever the roster changes significantly. Yeah. If that happens or yeah, just, yeah, but it wouldn't be like, you wouldn't need a whole thing like this. I would think. No. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. I, I mean, I think this is a useful tool to be like, okay, these are the things where we might have a problem, but I, I don't think I'd ever fill this out. And I think if anybody handed this to me to fill it out, I'd go, yeah, that seems like a little much. Yeah, yeah. but no, I, yeah. I would. Yeah, it, it's, well, it's totally a lot. But I, like, so this one, it's interesting. I I don't know if I like it, but it's interesting because it sort of tries to tackle a thing that can be touchy and its players may add to the setting background in the following was, manner. Oh my gosh. I was just about to bring that up. Yeah. Cause it's like, Whoa, that's a little, that's odd. Only in so far as usually games prescribe what amount of narrative control the players get generally. Right. But, but where you talk yeah, about that's a modern it's, thing. It's, yeah. It's mm -hmm. talking about setting background specifically. So this is really tackling, you know, um, <clears throat> a, a character's agency or a player's agency, you know, for history in the game, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's, and it's, it's interesting giving the players license to do world building. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And anyway, it's interesting because this is not because there's something special about this, but it, it, it hits on points specifically to games like D and D where the GM is all powerful. Um, and this tries to tackle that because it's important to players, um, or every, it, it can be important to some players. So everyone, and I think that's the thing about the social contract that we really have to grasp is that if it's important to a player, we all have to address it in a reasonable way. Mm -hmm. And okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's how we come to, uh, specific safety rules. Also that sort of may seem I don't know what the right term is over overbearing, but if it matters to a player that we want to play with, then we have to sort of address that and, and decide how, how we do that. Um, the social contract isn't about saying all groups must do this, but it is about saying talk and figure out how your group is going to do this. Mm, okay. Yeah. So 
if you were going to then try and prompt that discussion within your game, how would you do it? Would you do something like what Mark did where he put a few basic points in there as here's the table etiquette? Or would you give a big 50 or whatever, however many question thing this is? Um, or is there some other way to do it? I embedded it in my section about session zero. Okay. Mm. But what what form did that embedded part take? Um well actually I didn't put it in the session zero thing. Social contracts <laughs> is a whole other section. Sorry. Okay. Um but it's it's the last currently the last part of my gameplay chapter and it talks about you know being respectful and punctual and prepared and attentive sincere and contributive those are the six bullet points it puts out and then it discusses player boundaries in the context of lines and veils and talks about um keeping the atmosphere the way everybody wants it okay so ultimately you're just trying to prompt a discussion between players about okay yes. here's the here's the things that he, that he has or that the author has said are probably important about sitting around this table and collaborating collaboratively doing this thing so let's talk about this and um, mm -hmm. create that so is does anybody else have any thoughts on that method? Um, this is. Uh, I I don't I don't I don't know what I was going to say. I was I was getting to the point where. Uh, how easy it is to talk about this and how much harder it feels to write about it. Um, yeah, because I, I I'm. I, it's something that I really want to have, but I don't know how it will be. <laughs> At least, you know, I know what my one game is, and it doesn't really, it doesn't quite have it. It has a few points, but it's not really full to what my next game is going to be. I don't, I'm, I don't know how I'm going to do that. I don't think it's necessarily easy. Um, one <clears throat> thing that we're, that any game that includes a discussion about social contract at some point has it doing that is an admission that that explicitly dealing with these topics is an attempt to establish a, a best practice among the players yeah like whether they're playing that game or whatever they play afterwards yeah. <clears throat> in their whole role playing career is you know this thing these this this wouldn't be making itself making its way into games if it hadn't been rigorously hashed out by players at their own tables yeah it's it's there it's behavior that's being codified from mm -hmm. from bottom up uh, not yeah. top down which is something that's actually quite important uh, and i think um having a sort of if i don't imagine well, maybe it did occur in the early days, but like having like a formal, like top down, like this is how you're supposed to act thing, I don't think would really work all that well. 
but since the since most of it as as you say car it was coming from players noticing how they were acting and discussions they were having around their game and uh designing prompts for those same discussions into their games um <clears throat> that's yeah that's 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 the kind of behavior that's where where you you codify something you've been doing for a while you know mm-hmm. to do it to do it in the way that that's that's that we typically see like in life like for in monster hearts for example that feels very much like a bottom-up type solution where they wanted to do a game about um sexually active queer teenagers who are also monsters and then they probably sat down and played that a couple of times we're like okay we're we're this is getting bananas so we should have it's obvious that we're gonna have to talk about these things ahead of the time um <clears throat> and maybe they didn't even have to sit down and play it first it's, it's quite possible that they uh were playing other games noticing that there would be these um points of social I don't know about transgression, but like contact with the transgression line, and uh, and maybe there would be some transgressive moments, and and then somebody was like, okay, we got to figure out how to do this so that people aren't uncomfortable because the point here is that we're all having fun playing a game, and if that breaks down for somebody, then we're not all here having fun playing a game. So we have to have some sort of communication beforehand before that happens. Mm, right yeah the, the social contract is one of those things that's being added to games that covers more areas of playing the game than the 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 necessity like this is how you use this is what the rules are and this is how you use them mm-hmm. this is about using the product not just operating the game yep yeah yeah well, they're the almost like a second set of rules that are, well, maybe less or more so ephemeral than mm-hmm. the other ones in the game, but would still operate in the social aspect that the other part of the game is really only kind of directing and informing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So <laughs> how else did people put the social contract in their games or prompt a discussion about it? Or how else would you do it if you haven't gotten that far yet? Mm, I put a paragraph about player responsibility in the front and also uh, a paragraph. Well, I explained the roles. Well, I wouldn't say fairly deeply, but thoroughly so that the players and the Seneschal in my game knows where they stand and what their responsibilities are and what they're, what's expected of them. Um, <clears throat> I haven't really... I have there's an emphasis on if the rules are producing an outcome that nobody at the table can narrate, then the rules are an error. I've got that. That's not really a social contract, though. It's more like the game break breaks down and <clears throat> yeah, on the side of the narrative. Covering the, the play loop. Yeah. Um, let me think. Do I have anything else about that? Not really. And not at this point, at least. Um, yeah, I sort of assume, maybe erroneously, that this is not the kind of game that's going to be played as a one-shot often. Um, it It is designed around the campaign play, and so typically 
although I guess not always, typically like those kind of games are, are tend to be run in more established groups where everybody sort of already knows the weekly schedule or if there is going to be a weekly schedule and um, not, not the kind of games where, where, where you don't know the other people all that well and you're running at like a con or at a, at a game store or something like that. But you know, Maybe my my intent's a little bit too narrow. I could. Be. I yeah. I think that's a dangerous <clears throat> assumption. Yeah, um, you might be right. Yeah, I just never really thought about it too much until now. Like in terms of should I? How much out- etiquette should I outline? You know, um, I don't know. That's I think question. I think the thing you need to do at least is kind of do what Carr did. You could do it even with a like a more subtle hand of just ha- making sure that that conversation is is started. At yeah. the very least, or at, at hopefully had, but at the very least, that they somebody understands around the table that that is part of the conversation that is happening, and that there may need to be some um, rules or guidelines put in place about what's you know what happens around the table and what is okay. Cavoir, mm-hmm. uh, do you have any kind of social contract stuff that you put in your games or? want to put in your games um given how i write games uh not really because i i feel like i do the, the my uh my process for producing a social contract is fairly well established and already done so and given how I, the games i produce i not i don't really feel the need if i was producing something for people i don't literally spend time i don't talk to on a at least weekly basis i might i would definitely want to put something in on starting a discussion i'm not sure i would say like give too many rules on what should be dressed beyond probably some you know pointing people in a certain direction but that's it um the other thing i wanted to say uh it's not relevant to the topic but rob i uh, I've run a lot of one shots. I would not run your game as a one shot. It would, it would just be, ugh, I don't think it would work. <laughs> no, that game cannot. I don't think. I don't think you can one shot Rob's game. I mean, uh, I, but, I mean yeah, Rob's I, game is. Rob's game has too much structure in it. I mean, you can, really you could as a one shot, but I don't think it would be as satisfactory as things. No, um, I like I I could. If I thought sat down and thought about how I would do it, I think I could come up with an answer, but I don't think it would be the best way to do the game. No, no, it's very much built for campaign play, as he said. Um, and Jonathan, did you have any uh, thoughts on the social contract and putting it in your uh, works? Um, yeah, I'm. I actually just been sitting back trying to think about it. I was looking at. Um, I was skimming over lasers and feelings I, I wanted to see how small games tackle things like that um but and something i came across that um the closest i can think of that might apply to the social contract is a player goal and in, in the sense of it's like a bit of a meta thing like this is how we want you to play the game um but it's it doesn't really talk about discussing it so I don't know. I, I've I've tend to think I've I think initially thought it's like oh the text of my game is so small it's hard to tackle these topics without making it 
feel bloated. Um, but I do think that I need to think about that differently. And, and, uh, yeah, I'm struggling with it for small things, especially. Okay. All right. That's, that's a fine answer. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, okay. So now that we've gone over that, oh, wait, should I answer my own question? Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> you don't seem too excited about it. But, uh, okay, I don't have anything written as of yet, but in thinking about this, um, I think I would, I would probably, I'm thinking I'll put the X card in there as a recommended tool um, because I think the way my game is going, I want it to be within that realm of having things that are uncomfortable. Um, so having a safety mechanism like that, I think is, would be helpful, but as to establishing a social contract, um, I'm not exactly sure. I think just putting in the start of the game, you know, talked or putting in the GM section or wherever it would go is, have a talk around the table of what is acceptable and what is not acceptable in terms of um, social things. If, if you don't, if there isn't that thing already established, you know, if this isn't already an established group. Yeah. The less, the less comprehensive that upfront conversation is, the more necessary the X card becomes. Hmm. Uh, Because, yeah, because nobody knows what to expect, mm-hmm. and the but X the card X- is the only way out. Yeah, the X card is, I think, more about like topics and play, which is partly covered by the social contract. But since we've broadened its scope to also being about kind of um, d- uh, behavior around the game and behavior like at the table that isn't necessarily covered by the X card because it's not play topic. Um, I would, that's why I would, you'd have to include those things, but I, I, I think you're right to a, a certain extent. So, um, I lost my train of thought. The X card, yeah, is, is absolutely part of the social contract in the sense of it. It's not, it's, it's sort of saying like, we're going to deal with tough, tough subjects. And when we do cross the line this is how we deal with it um Mm -hmm. like when rob talks about uh i will not leave you behind you can't just say we're going to use i will not leave you behind you have to say this is what we're going to use and this is how we use that in play it's uh i will not abandon you i will not abandon you yes yeah yeah sorry um but it which when you talk about how it's going to be used that's that's the social contract um yeah that's the important part saying whether mm-hmm. it's the x cards or lines and veils just saying it exists is is not quite enough mm. because to... the the fundamental difference of the x card from all these other topics the contract itself lines and veils i will not abandon you the fundamental difference of the x card is that it's reactive, whereas everything yeah. else is proactive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that that is why I would want to include, why I said I include the X card and something else, um, because I, I think that that reactive portion is important. 
because you know you don't always know or don't always want to bring that thing up until it happens to come up and you go okay i would not like to deal with this this moment mm-hmm. but anyway um so earlier we said that you can't really pin the social contract down so i'm going to ask us to pin part of the social contract down because i know when car put his um, notes for this episode in he said that he gave some some well not super specific but somewhat specific things that he wants to have um he wants to be in a social contract so i think what i want to try to do now is see if we can pin down a few things that are that would always be present or almost always be present in social contracts about the where are you seeing that fred because i'm looking at my notes and i don't see that I did I totally miss something? So and I am point more... number one, right? You got the 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 those things. There's like seven things right there. Yeah. Oh, that, I think those that were my a... ways of breaking it, which Rob more or less covered. Uh, did I? oh yeah, I, I got most. Well, yeah, <clears throat> this is all sort of like, yeah, behavior that negatively affects the experience. Which yeah, as, as, yeah, I just said it as a bigger umbrella. Um, so it's, uh, well, we should go over them anyway. So you have, uh, playing in, or you want to do it. <laughs> I was going to read your list off. Or, or does Fred want to lead us through it? Sure. Uh, okay, sure. I can, I can take it. Um, so the first one that you have here is playing in bad faith. So I'm assuming yeah. that means, um, role-playing or doing something within the fiction that is within bad faith. Um, so, you know, doing something that's outside of reasonability, uh, doing something silly when that's not what is uh, expected at the table. That that covers a lot of varied ground. That mm-hmm. covers everything from stretching everyone's sense of buy-in all the way to being at the table for the wrong reasons. Like mm-hmm. the de facto GM's girlfriend situation. She's mm-hmm. not there to play. She's there to be in proximity to her SO. Um, or, you know, doing something that's not conducive to the, the fiction at hand. Or... Yeah, it, that covers a lot of varied ground. Okay. The playing in bad faith one is sort of interesting. So you brought up the issue that does come up from time to time of the, the GM's the GM's significant other problem. Mm-hmm. Every time I've seen it personally happen, it has, it has been a girlfriend, but it, I, I don't think it's necessarily limited to that. I, I could, I've heard of other scenarios where, it, it, anyway, it doesn't matter. But the point is, it's a tropey example. Yeah, it's a tropey example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good way of putting it. Um, But the idea of somebody showing up to a game, and it's it's not it's not just a game. It's it's a a tabletop role playing game, which assumes a certain amount of buy in, and they've committed sort of beforehand to not buying in. That's that's the sort of bad faith I think is most. Mm. most egregious and noticeable mm. when so they 
Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Go, go ahead. I was so so. You're what you're saying is the person who goes, oh, I'm I'm gonna go, but I don't really care to play. I just want to be there to talk to to see somebody else or to just because I don't have anything else to do, but I don't have There's, the no, buy-in. It's, no, it's not just that. It's like they have a character, but they're just they don't care about anything that's going on. <clears throat> like when mm. it comes to their turn and stuff, they'll just they'll just roll the die and then like go back to their phone type thing. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of but like if that person shows up consistently, it's like why why are you coming? Why are you wasting four hours of your day like being bored at a table just so you can be next to somebody? Like I mean, there's myriad psychological uh facets to that question. Uh mm-hmm. but it's very hard to address them in a group of people that you want to be friends with. Uh, and so showing up like that generally isn't when I see it happen, when I've seen it happen, <clears throat> it's not, it's never malicious. You know, it's never like the, the, this person has shown up in order to keep an eye on this person or cause right. they, 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 um, you know, they genuinely want to spend time with the person they like the person they like has a hobby they want to try and get into it but they don't make the effort <clears throat> to get into it and so or, it's or they're not capable of making the effort like how many times have we seen a group with one of the players kid sibling is just in the room and halfway paying attention but not participating yep right <clears throat> yeah it's been my brother on occasion <laughs> when he was younger but like that's you know that's <clears throat> where you start or yeah. at least you know um, <coughs> most but i think i think thing... a lot of young siblings got, got into the game that way i think that's not rare right but the disengagement leads us to point two which is being unprepared disruptive disengaged or otherwise negatively impacting others experience that's pretty much the don't be a dick rule. Mm-hmm. Like my my group a long time ago, like we had one guy that was habitually late, like yeah. two hours late, no matter what. So we just started telling him that the game started two hours before it actually did mm-hmm. so that he would show up on time. Right. <clears throat> yeah. I've dealt with multiple people like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's annoying to say the least. Oh, yeah. And uh, you kind of have to wonder, like, what, 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 what the hell is your problem at that point? Like, I'm not like forcing you to come to this. Like, you're here because it's an enjoyable activity. So we all think, like, <laughs> yeah, it's it's voluntary, but it does require some amount of dedication. I think I think that's part of it, though, because um, it's kind of a question of playing the right game. Because I think there are certain games, whether they're role-playing games or not, that you might not need that kind of buy-in. But I think what's important about the role-playing games that I think a lot of us are designing is that the intentions that you're there to really participate and engage in the experience. Everyone's there. Everyone's set aside this time specifically for the game. Um, but if you're playing, I don't know, a card game or something, uh, that that buy-in is a little bit different. Or if you're playing a game that you can set up and put away in five to ten minutes, then that buy-in is also different. Like, yeah. I don't know mm-hmm. that this is a problem that necessarily Jonathan would have to deal with, 
in terms of what the buy-in expectation is from players of, of cuts to the chase, as opposed to Catrice would have to have for someone who wants to play Seorsa. Like, I think there's a very different um, expectation that I think needs to be acknowledged for what does this game require from you and from the group in order to be played properly or as intended. That's a good yeah. point. That's a good point. Yeah, it's it, because it's it's that that's the point at which the designer can make some choices. Um, yeah, because then, like like you were saying, like with with um, um, uh, Johnson's game, cut to the chase. the The amount of buy in you have <clears throat> is low, and it's only between two people. Exactly. And so that's a that's you know that's a kind of sneaky way of maximizing buy in at that point because you only have to get one other person on board and it's you're saying like oh this is this is going to be a fairly fast paced game it's going to be like really snappy like there's we're going to do this little narration thing but like there's not a lot to it's not like handing somebody the D D player's manual and going yep. like we're making a character go exactly and they go uh okay hey, this is yeah. 300 pages you just handed me like what am i supposed That's to do right. with this <laughs> the buy-in from a game of um, like whatever D and D, like you said, has a very different expectation than when I run games of Rises, which is just like whatever, like show up whenever you want. We're just gonna kick around, have some fun, and then right. later on, we're we're just killing time for whatever we're gonna do later. So, mm-hmm. I think it's important for the game to acknowledge what the design is intended to be used for. And then because of that, that informs what your your social interactions are. Mm. So Yeah. I, Another yeah. instance where D D is the probably the worst possible example, but um <laughs> can I move on to the number three? Yeah. Yeah. E. Or go ahead, Fred. Rob. Uh number three is inappropriate metagaming, which is, you know, I, I think we all vaguely know what that is, but it's just when you know something about the game that your character wouldn't know, and then you use that to your advantage. And I assume this is doing it in kind of a dickish way. Um, well, the way of free, the, I used inappropriate as a way that <coughs> the acceptable level of metagaming could be defined by the group mm-hmm. or the mm-hmm. game. Or and both, the game, yeah, yeah. Or the game, or both, yeah. because yeah. you know that's not going to be constant from table to table. No, yeah. that's actually really well said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's certainly true. Um, is there anybody who has a problem with having that in the social contract? Uh, no, inappropriate. No, although some games explicitly say to do it, which is kind mm-hmm. of interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, there, there Which, it says inappropriate metagaming, yeah. not metagaming, period. There is some, some level of metagaming yes. you are participating in, regardless of whether you even right. acknowledge it. Yeah. yeah, because just a lot of people think that metagaming needs to be completely quashed. And that's, I think, in, in, in this room, I think everybody agrees that that's a, quite overzealous. Yeah. Yeah. Especially I mean, since Go ahead. No, I was just going to say I mean it it very much depends but in general like you want to you want a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, is I, necessary I, for the game to function. 
no matter yeah, what so, game it is. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. I mean, I I designed metagaming into the rules of my game. Like <clears throat> it's assumed that players can see the battle map and talk to each other without other people hearing. That's part of their power set. Um, so and have knowledge other people can't. That's I mean, I I I designed it out of the game by making it a feature. Um in a sense. But I don't know how you could do that inappropriately. I guess by how would you inappropriately? Uh I don't know. Inappropriately metagaming is things like um oh. reading the adventure ahead of time would be yeah. yeah. Assuming you're playing yeah. from a canned adventure, or yeah, just basically doing things because you know that the uh, uh never mind. I was gonna say something, but I, I wasn't breaking it very well. Okay, it's basically yes, Kevmore, yes, cars say the thing because you probably know what I'm saying better than I do. <laughs> uh, actually, I was gonna interject a a way that I've seen GMs do inappropriate metagaming. Oh. Which is kind of telegraphing the future. Like kind of like outside the fictional space, like kind of giving a teaser for what's coming up in a way that they shouldn't. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily appropriate. I mean, I see where that could be. Yeah, there are times... You have to know where the line is, but that's kind of what this is all about. Um, and also, I could never do that because that would imply I need. To, I know where things are going. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. 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 You need to know the future in order to be able to predict it. So. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm thinking about things like at the end of a session, there's discussion going on and whatever prompts the GM to say, well, just wait till you get to the bottom of the next temple. Oh, shit like ah, that. I it's, see. Right. See, but it's, it's, it's teasing, but in kind of a not productive way. Yeah, I can see where that, because it would be better to drop a hint about that in the game rather exactly. than, rather than have the GM tell you out of game and you're like, oh, okay. Because it doesn't, it mm-hmm. feels a little self-serving to do yeah. it that way. <clears throat> yeah yeah I what agree do you mean that. by self-serving well you're trying to it's the gm gloating about his plans there you go mm. okay you can do like a cliffhanger type thing you can do like a cliffhanger type thing where you where you where you have some sort of like dun 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 moment but not in a, it, not in that way. Not you know. There's 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 methods of doing it that are failing to bubble up from my consciousness at this moment. But uh, yeah, yeah, in I mean, ways. Yeah, I think you in, can say in, things in, like, you know, it, it's not really dead or whatever, right? And it's like, uh, okay, like we we just saw something, and that's the end of the uh, this session or whatever. Yeah, in in modern like TV parlance, it would be kind of be like the GM throwing his own spoilers at the players. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's fine to discuss yeah. like plans for the future if they involve a character in some context, but that's a different thing. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a whole weird bunch of weird lines that, that we probably shouldn't talk about. But uh, 
Meta, I guess what I was trying to say is uh, metagaming is like uh, is usually in the bad state when people when it gets to the point where you are avoiding something that you shouldn't know is there. Is I guess the best way to phrase what I was trying to get at. Okay, mm-hmm. right. When you're yeah. <clears throat> purposefully, purposefully taking precautions that your character shouldn't know to be taken, I guess. Or using non-fictional knowledge for fictional purposes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's actually a, like I said, Carver Car was going to say whatever I was trying to say better. <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> I, okay, I think, like, yes, okay, I'll agree with that. I'm not going to disagree because that's a silly disagreement to make. Um, <laughs> but let's move on uh, yeah. to uh, excessive spotlight hogging. So this is, I, I assume, just when a person is always interjecting, talking too much, and not allowing other players around the table to, um, you know, interject in a reasonable mm-hmm. way and collaborate <clears throat> with them. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's that 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 could potentially be have been rolled up into number two about negative Im- impact on the experience, but I listed this one out separately because I deserved I thought it deserved to be called out on its own. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, it's, it's it's I haven't seen it much, to be honest. Um, I wouldn't say excessive. Some people are like overly loud sometimes and very, <clears throat> very forceful about their actions. I don't, I don't know. If I've ever seen it like a full so spotlight the few, hog. The few times I've seen it is when there's only one type A personality at the table. Hmm. Yeah. I, I had an interesting experience with my friend and, and he's the guy that I recorded the, the uh, actual play that I did and we played again. And, um, He's very new to role playing, so it, it was, and also my game is different than than most, right? right? <laughs> um, and uh, but he, um, I was trying to say like whenever you're creating the the scene for the next person, you're describing you know what they are faced with. Mm-hmm. Um, but he kept trying to in, say oh, and then you did this, and then you did this, and you f- and you found yourself, you know what I mean? Mm. Like he was sort of saying... Narrating playing, your stuff, Narrating yeah. my character um, to, to an amount that was unreasonable. Sometimes GMs take that to move the yeah. story forward in certain chunks. You know, you guys are on the road and you made it to the, the town. You know, that's fine. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that... I don't know if that was quite what you're referring to but i think sometimes um what can happen with these types of players is like oh you should do this or wouldn't it be cool if your character did that and it's it's like it it's sort of more spotlight hogging although it might not be for their character it's just in general at the table Mm -hmm. this this larger than life um right you know Mm -hmm. i want to talk about everything right i I could also there's a space I think there's a space in this list for including like infringing other players agency as its own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's, it's also, I think, um, 
Uh, maybe not. I was going to say, is rules lawyering a mode of excessive spotlight hogging? Maybe. I think it, may, I think it maybe could be. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's a mix of that and excessive metagaming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. The rules lawyering, like, if the same thing comes up over and over, then that's just ridiculous. If you have a point to make about one thing, yeah, you know, that's fine. Yeah, you know, or you can but, you can be like, oh, I don't think that's that how it works, and then you show the GM the page. Yeah, I think that's reasonable too. But oh, like yeah, having totally. an argument, like every time I've done that, I've I've, I've done it a couple of times, mostly with with D and D and Shadowrun. But I'll be like, uh, so when the GM does something I think is wrong, I go like, oh, wait a second, I don't I don't think that's how it works. Can I? I'm just gonna look it up though, and so I grab it. I, I look at. I do the. Uh, I guess. I do the work, right? I, I'm I'm trying to, I, I'm trying to show the GM that I'm trying to expedite the situation, not hold it up. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's an appropriate method of doing the quote unquote rule lawyering thing. Yeah, because well, are, is it just explicitly rules lawyering where you have something in the book to cite, or is it more <clears throat> more of like arguing about how the simulation is being allowed to work mm, <clears throat> it's more like the times i've done it, it's more like i have a specific thing in the book to cite um i unless unless the unless the gm has got just gotten like way off the rails in terms of the simulation then i'll just run with it most of the time it's only happened a couple of times where i was just like oh that's complete bullshit like <laughs> yeah so that's something that's worth um putting in the or maybe not, i shouldn't say putting in uh but but discussing um as part of the social contract is how do we you know deal with uh, uh rules issues and it could be kate will take you know we'll quickly look it up and get it right the first time uh-huh. or we're just we're just going to gloss over it and until we have a reasonable time to break and then we'll do it right moving forward or right like mm-hmm. th- having that talk is sort of like how do you avoid rules lawyering or how do you deal with rules issues um at the table it, it yeah, is valid. somewhere in my book somewhere on my book i've got a direction a directive about if a decision can't be made definitively quickly make a provisional ruling until later mm-hmm. yeah that's the, I can't remember what game that's in, but there's a game that has a rule called Let It Ride, which is basically just... Oh, Burning Wheel. Burning Wheel, yeah, mm-hmm. okay. If it comes up, you know, GM makes a quick decision, and then you move on, and that's just how it be. Yeah. And I think that that's... That's, that's not exactly how Let It Ride works. Oh, it isn't? <clears throat> no, it's close. Oh. But it is, it is whatever, whatever the role was, that's now the fiction. And you don't get to retry. You don't get to go back on it. And, uh, but it is like you, you're supposed to work with that now. I guess it, the game's not supposed to cut you off completely. It has a set, it has an early like conception of the fail forward idea. Yeah. Where okay. yeah, the, the lit it ride thing is very much like a restatement of yes and. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, then I remembered that rule wrong, but. Or I'm remembering 
or I put the wrong label on. No, I'm pretty sure you're actually right. Okay. Um, but anyway, there's a rule in some game, and I thought it was called Let It Ride, but obviously not, where it just says if one of those things comes up, GM makes a quick decision. You can look it up later if you want, right. but just move on with your lives. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's all about expediency. Mm-hmm. Well, it's about keeping flow, I think, because that mm-hmm. like yeah. there's a big break when you have to open up the rule book and you know find the page yeah. and read the thing. Yeah, I really hate that. Yeah, it really bothers me. I, I mean, I've done my best to like design ashes for that not to happen ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is very annoying. Yeah. Um, all right, well, let's move on with this list. I think the next one is habitual tardiness or absenteeism. So. I mean, that one's pretty self-explanatory. Yep. When someone regularly doesn't show up on time, like Rob's friend, or just doesn't show up at all, mm-hmm. which I've certainly had. Um, I, I also... Regularly has to leave early. That's yeah. a thing that happens. Yeah. Um, I've, I've definitely... Like, I've had players who will... I, habitual is part of it, but I've also had players who will say, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to show up, I'm going to show up, and then right before the game show, say, no, I'm not going to... Um, and that mm. irritates me unless there's a good reason. Uh, yeah. That just and that's just like a respect thing. Yeah, you know, so like, like you could have told me. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's also like I said earlier. It's a dedication thing. Like yeah. if you're going to partake in this hobby, you have you have to allow it to be part of your life. Mm. Well, well, I don't know if it, it has to be part of your life, but it's just. It the part of that habitual tardiness is like you know knowing is like being reasonable about your schedule and going oh okay I don't I can't actually show up to this thing or I might be late so I'm gonna tell everybody you know it's being respectful about that about yeah. the timing. But also, but it's like, so how many sessions do you do that before it's like, are you even playing the game anymore? Uh, you know I mean? like twice. I at this point I let that happen like twice. Uh, if it's that, if it's just habitual tardiness, that's more like four or five times but that's me um yeah i don't i don't know if i would call twice a habit no well i'm not talking about the habit i'm not talking about the i'm talking about the like you know doesn't say anything until minutes before the game or something like that you know and just in some ways disrespectful about the scheduling of the thing mm-hmm. um but does anybody else have anything to say on being habitually late or habitually absent from the game? Nope. Nope. Okay, great. Uh, next, we're going to talk about breaching lines slash veils. So we haven't actually broached what lines and veils are, but a uh, quick overview. Lines are things that cannot be crossed during play fictional, and I, I, we'll go into this more. I'm just trying to give a quick one. Lines are things that cannot be crossed at also generally things that you're just not supposed to talk about in general um and veils are things that are uh, allowed to be discussed but you don't want to get into the nitty-gritty so to speak you know the things that should yeah. be kept behind mm-hmm. the veil the idea um, is that all of this is established at the beginning of the game or in like a session zero so that yep uh, everyone's on the same page mm-hmm. and uh and there's also you know lines and veils that are kind of left unsaid often too like i know in in a lot of groups, they kind of have that, okay, we won't talk about sex, even though nobody ever brings that up, really, just because it it's an uncomfortable thing. They kind of assumed people. lines and veils, yeah. Yeah. They kind of, you know, they kind of assume lines and veils that a lot of social situations anyway, you know, 
people have politics, religion, uh, sex. Uh, a list goes on, but those those things. Uh, okay, does anyone have anything specific to say about this car? Do you have any further thoughts? Um, it should probably be pointed out that <clears throat> there should be some leeway for forgetting the lines and veils or a breach happens accidentally versus deliberately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that there's all of those in all of these of just kind of being reasonable, you know, and trying mm-hmm. to understand the intention of the other to a certain extent. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And last one is lapse enforcement of the social contract, which I'm going to let Carr take. Tell me what you mean by that. That's pretty much um, letting a, a violation happens and nobody says anything about it. Or, or at least one person is cognizant that the violation has happened and doesn't acknowledge it. Hmm. Like, this is a collaborative activity so and these are the social contract sets up rules that everyone is expected to follow and everyone is also the police with regard to the rules i mean by default the gm more than the players but right. still you know we've you know we are talking there's a lot of thing there's a lot of discussion in in RPG circles lately about lessening the GM's load. Yeah. And things like enforcing the contract is a good opportunity to do that. Also, there's sometimes when the GM is going to be thought he's violating the contract. Yes. <laughs> yes. And to a lesser extent the other things, but that's probably the one that's most likely to be the GM, and there are some are more, most likely to be players, although any of them could be any, in theory. Because mm. mm-hmm. regardless of meta role, everyone is there for the same purpose. Yeah. Well, or for a uh, yeah, similar purpose. Yeah. Um, okay. Great. Uh, so with the... Uh, that was the end of so we'll kind of I think that can we all reasonably agree that those are decent things to have in any <clears throat> RPG social contract or does anyone have any problems with that? I think what I would do with this list is I would critically look at the game that I'm designing and try to say what aspects of this matter to my game and mm-hmm. in what way can I um like what what purview do I have as the designer to influence these things at the table? Because I think part of this is up to the dynamics of the people sitting at the table. And I could see a lot of people, if I were to like have a rule in the rule book saying everyone needs to show up on time, um, that I could understand if a group of players took offense to that and say, what are who are you to tell me as like the ethereal game designer, are you gonna come down to my game session and and make sure everyone's on time and punctual? No. So I think there's only a certain amount of uh, control that a game designer can have over what the social contract entails. Um, But I think establishing sort of the guideline 
or or even just an understanding of what um, what your game requires from the players, I think is important. Um, so I'd go through this list, look at every element and say, why is this important to my game? And how can we how can I design that into every individual player's understanding of the experience we're trying to build together? All right. Uh, fantastic. Hey, one, one more thing. Like, this list is what it is because of how the topic was set up. Like, it, it was literally, like, how, how is the social contract broken? Mm-hmm. I would, like, if I was going to put something in a game to accomplish the goals of defining what a social contract sh- may or may not contain... I would flip it to positive aspects like playing like good the, faith. The, right. Yeah. Playing right. good faith, be respectful, be punctual, prepared, be yeah. prepared. Exactly. That's basically the mm-hmm. bullet list I put in my book. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, I, either way they are presented. Uh, yeah, you're mm-hmm. right. I, yeah, it's probably better to present that in a positive light. Mm hmm. But and uh, I, I think if it's if it's framed positively, then there's probably less chance of readers reacting negatively to these directives. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's true. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right, and with that, um, I think we're going to call it for this week. So, listeners, thanks for joining us, and we'll be back again later. We've been full forward, and uh, have a good week. Yeah, see you next week. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Everybody.